and welcome to the Peace Love Plants podcast. I am your host, Marco Knox. My long-awaited interview with Dr. Michael Greger is finally here. We were scheduled to discuss his book, How Not to Diet, but then COVID-19 hit, putting the brakes on that interview, thus bringing a very relevant topic to the forefront, pandemics. Now, for those of you that know, I need not explain to you just how amazing his work is. However, there are some of you out there listening that may not know of Dr. Greger. I'll do my best to paint a picture for this segment of the audience. Dr. Greger is a devoted physician with a highly energetic and vibrant personality. He's also an author and an internationally recognized speaker on a number of important public health issues. He's an altruistic human as well. For example, all of the proceeds from his speaking engagements and the sale of his books are donated to charity. He also has a 501c nonprofit called nutritionfacts.org, and it's the first science-based non-commercial website to provide free daily videos and articles on the latest discoveries in nutrition. Dr. Greger truly embodies the saying, people over profit. His book, How Not to Die, has positively impacted millions of lives worldwide, mine included. And if not for the fact that I immersed myself into that book, I might not have been able to make the changes in my lifestyle that ultimately saved my life. Yeah, that impactful. In fact, whenever a new client asks me where to start, one of the first things that I recommend is either reading or listening to How Not to Die. But in this episode, we discuss his latest work, How to Survive a Pandemic. Being an expert on infectious disease, Dr. Greger is highly versed on this subject, and he shares with us some valuable insight in evidence-based science that could change the way you look at things. So, grab a pen and a notepad, and be prepared to hit rewind a few times, because the knowledge is impactful and will leave you with a new perspective on a very important subject. My sincere hope is that you enjoy this discussion on how to survive a pandemic with Dr. Michael Greger. Dr. Michael Greger, welcome to the Peace Love Plant Podcast, my friend. How are you doing today? I am doing great. So excited to be on. Boy, we've had reschedule after reschedule. I'm excited to finally make it. So now I know you're on a schedule, so let's dive right into this discussion about your latest book, How to Survive a Pandemic. Before we get too far down the road, I want to set the stage here for our listeners. Most people would say that they know you from your book, How Not to Die, or your charitable work through nutritionfacts.org. But in fact, you had authored three books prior and first started your medical work in the area of infectious disease. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. I actually did my postgraduate medical work at a public health hospital in Boston. And yeah. And since the uh, AIDS epidemic was raging unfettered at the time, we, it was a lot of infectious disease. I remember thinking to myself, wait a second. You know, I was growing up. There's no such thing as HIV AIDS. Where did this disease come from? And so that's just kind of that natural curiosity that led me to look specifically at emerging infectious disease and uh, do a lot of work in that area. That's how I got to defend Oprah for the whole mad cow disease scandal and how I uh, did a lot of, I mean, actually most of my written scientific work is actually in that field and only switched over to chronic disease work, lifestyle disease work, once no one was listening, right? I published a book on pandemic preparedness and prevention uh, back 2006, screaming from the rooftops, a pandemic is coming, no one's listening. So I was like, all right, no one's going to listen, might as well move over to the current number one killer, which is heart disease. And I've been doing that, but knowing the back of my mind, any moment now, I'm going to be able to get back to put that, all that research that I had done to good use, and this current crisis allowed me to do that. 
Yeah. So fast forward to 2020 and you're getting ready to hit the road to speak about your new book, at least at the time, How Not to Diet. And then, as you just mentioned, COVID-19 hits, obviously pausing and putting the brakes on your travel and speaking engagements. And what better thing to do than write a comprehensive book on surviving pandemics? Now, other than having more time at your disposal, what was the main motivation to write this book? Yeah, I only got to about, I don't know, like 50 cities on my 200 city book tour before everything kind of crumbled down. Yeah. But you know what? It gave me this opportunity to finally kind of dig back into all that ignored work that I had done. And, uh, you know, so I was, you know, telling everyone to run out and get toilet paper, you know, a decade ago. <laughs> no one was listening. So, but no, but look, finally, people are going to wake up and listen. And so, It was just a scramble to jump on this. And we basically reoriented the whole research juggernaut at nutritionfacts.org. I mean, God, when I was writing on this subject before, it was just me doing all the research, going to all the libraries. But now I have this massive research team. And so we were able to churn out this, well, it's like 600 pages, 3,500 citations in like a month. I mean, it was insane. It was insane. Absolutely insane. It's a wonder. I listened to an audible. It's it's a wonderful listen. I think it took about 15 hours and some change. Well worth it, though. Well worth it. So let's start here and touch on a past pandemic. 1918 was the year of the Spanish flu. For those that aren't aware of this historical pandemic, can you touch on why it's so significant in human history? Yeah. I mean, the reason that people always use 1918 as a kind of a touchstone, it is it's the deadliest plague in human history, killing more people than any plague, famine, war, kill more people in a short time than any other event, 50 to 100 million people. But even that, so the deadliest plague in history, that had a 2% death rate. So 2% of the people that got it went on to die from it. But the reason, uh, you know, it's important to remember these kind of numbers is because according to the CDC, the leading candidate for the next pandemic after COVID-19 is a bird flu virus known as H7N9, which is 100 times deadlier than COVID-19. Instead of one in 250 cases dying, um, H7N9 has killed 40% of the people in fact. So not a 2% death rate like, you know, 1918, but 40%. I mean, you know, what if we had a pandemic infecting billions where death was closer to a flip of a coin? But the good news is there's something we can do about it. Uh, just as eliminating the exotic animal trade and live animal markets may go a long way towards preventing the next coronavirus pandemic, reforming the way we raise domestic animals for food may help forestall the next killer flu. Yeah, and that brings me to my next point here, and and it's part two of this book, When Animal Viruses Attack. Regarding coronaviruses specifically, I mean, I know there's hundreds of them, but walk me through how they typically circulate, because it's through the animal kingdom. They don't typically jump, right? Well, yeah. So, I mean, that's an important concept that you raise, right? Over the last few decades, hundreds of human pathogens have emerged at a rate unprecedented in human history. You say, wait a second, emerged from where? Mostly from animals. The AIDS virus is blamed on the butchering of primates in the bushmeat trade in Africa. Mad gout disease was because we turned cows into carnivores and cannibals. SARS and COVID-19 traced back to the exotic wild animal trade. But our last pandemic, swine flu in 2009, arose not from some, you know, backwater wet market in Asia, but was largely made in the USA on pig operations in the United States. Now, thankfully, you know, swine flu has only killed half a million people, but the next time we might not be so lucky. Yeah, it's fascinating to hear that. And with the current coronavirus, COVID-19, I found it absolutely shocking what animal host it originated from. 
Can you elaborate on that for us? Ah, yeah, it's really fascinating. So the primordial source of most human coronaviruses is actually bats. But uh, similar to the last two deadly coronavirus outbreaks, SARS and MERS, there's an intermediate species involved since we don't tend to get it directly from bats. And the intermediate species for SARS was something called a uh, kind of a cat-like animal called a civet, which is a race for its flesh in Asia. And the current leading candidate for the intermediate species for COVID-19 is the pangolin, the scaly anteater. Kind of looks like, in the book I described as a kind of cross between anteater and a pine cone. Really remarkable looking creatures, critically endangered. They're the most poached mammal on the planet. They're used not only highly prized for their flesh, but also for their purported medicinal, traditional, used in traditional Chinese medicine. And so we think that was the sequence of events, bats to pangolins in these live animal markets to people. And then from person to person, critically, that's what does it. Once it escapes into the human population, and now that we have global airline travel within 24 hours, it can escape our grasp. And that's why we really need to prevent the emergence of these viruses in the first place. Yeah. So knowing that the aforementioned viruses and the one specifically, COVID-19, all originated from animals, a lot of people will say, well, we don't participate in animal trade or we only eat farm animals like pigs, cows and chickens. Bats and pangolins are disgusting. However, there are serious flaws in this logic. Can you touch on some of this and why we're really all affected? Yeah, well, look, you know, as devastating as COVID-19 has been, it may just be a dress rehearsal for an even greater threat waiting in the wings of chickens, right? I mean, 1918, deadliest plague in human history, that was a bird flu virus, right? The unprecedented emergence of eight, seven, and nine, ten other bird flu viruses newly infecting people in the world in the world has been blamed not on wet markets, but on industrial poultry production. When we overcrowd animals in these cramped, filthy football field-sized sheds to lie beak to beak or snout to snout atop their own waist, it's just a breeding ground for disease. The, the sheer numbers of animals, the overcrowding, the stress crippling their immune systems, the ammonia from the decomposing waste burning their lungs, the lack of fresh air, lack of sunlight. And put all these factors together, we really have as a kind of a perfect storm environment for the emergence and spread of these so-called super strains of influenza. By yet, you know, we don't tend to shore up the levees until after disaster strikes, the bottom line is that's not worth risking the lives of millions of people for the sake of cheaper chicken. Right, right. So let's jump to part four, surviving the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, it's obvious that the COVID-19 virus isn't going to magically disappear with the warmer weather, as some have predicted. Quite to the contrary, it's spiked in recent weeks. With that in mind, what's the best thing that we can do as a society to get a handle on this? Yeah, in fact, in the book, right, which I wrote months ago, I said it's not going away in the summer. And indeed, that seems to be the case. Well, I mean, look, the only way to stop a pandemic is what's called herd immunity, having a critical portion of the populace immune to the virus. And in fact, you can only burn through a population if there are enough susceptible individuals for the viral sparks to jump from one person to the next, right? Immune individuals who can't get or, or transmit the virus act as like fire breaks to slow the spread or like control rods in a nuclear reactor to break the chains of transmission. Now, ideally, this is accomplished through mass vaccination, right? Vaccines are a way to kind of fight fire with fire using the virus to fight the virus by generating the benefits of an infection, immunity without the risks, disease and death. Now, 
without a vaccine. Herd immunity is only achieved the hard way, though, through mass infection. But look, you can't get the virus unless the virus can get to you. So that's why I spend a lot of time in the book talking about kind of the common sense measures we can take to reduce our risk. Then, of course, even more importantly, uh, prevent the emergence of the next pandemic virus in the first place. Yeah. So kind of on that note, is it wearing the mask, social distancing? I mean, those are really simple procedures that we all should be taking. Isn't that right? I mean, the most important thing is distance, distance, distance. So I think masks give people a false sense of security. The way you don't get this virus is you stay away from people. You stay away from people outside of your household to the extent possible. If you are forced into a situation where you have to be around other people, then yes, indeed wear a mask. But, you know, there's this sense of, but it's not being locked down. Look, you can go outside. In fact, it'd be great to get outside. It's just the riskiest places are indoor, crowded, low ventilation areas. That's where, and where you're kind of stuck for long periods of time. This is really where we want to avoid. So there's a continuum of risk. And until we don't have widespread community transmission, we really do want to maintain as much distance as possible, particularly if we ourselves are in high-risk groups, such as elder, they have a, having one of these underlying health conditions that make you a higher risk, or if you come in contact with people who are vulnerable, it's critically important that you don't infect yourself and transmit it because, as we know, you can become infected and infectious before showing symptoms. So days after becoming infected, you can look perfectly fine, feel perfectly fine, but be exhaling virus with every breath. That's why these social distancing measures have been necessary because without enough mass testing, you don't know who's infected. So you just have to try to keep everyone apart from everyone else. Yeah, very important information there. So we're going to wrap this thing up here in a moment. Before we do, I have to ask you, seeing that factory farming is so dangerous, along with the potential for a catastrophic amount of human death, why do we as humans still practice these horrific crimes against the animal kingdom? I mean, to me, it seems like the true fix is simple. Stop eating animals. Are we as a species simply too far gone to reel that back in? Well, look, I mean, a lot of this is just, you know, how we were brought up right? How we're acculturated. You know, nothing is set in stone. In fact, of course, you know, as you know, it's even healthier to eat a meat-free diet. And look, there are certainly changes we can make within animal agriculture. You know, we can give these animals a little more breathing room. They're the ones who could use a little social distancing, frankly. But yeah, but in terms of not just reducing the risk, but eliminating the risk, we really do need to accelerate the movement towards, you know, these kind of plant-based milks, plant-based meats, plant-based egg products. Now, from a personal health standpoint, these are not great. They, you know, often have sodium added, highly processed, blah, blah, blah. But from a pandemic threat standpoint, zero risk. And so I think think that's how we're going to get people to change. Not everybody can go all kale and quinoa, right? There's some people, you know, they want their milkshakes and they want their cheeseburgers. and, And it's like, fine, have milkshakes, have cheeseburgers, just don't put the global economy, you know, don't put the lives of millions of people at risk, right? These aren't personal decisions anymore, right? You want to go smoke, you want to go bungee jump, you, it's your body, your choice, right? But when your choices put me, my family, my community, my planet at risk, then you need to change. And look, you can keep having all the same tastes and look, you can destroy your health almost as much as you want. There's all sorts of crap out there you could be eating, but it's animal free crap, right? It's uh, right. And look, and ironically, guess who is leading the charge? 
right? It's not the tofurkeys of the world, right? They're selling to vegetarians. Vegetarians, they're the, we don't need to change the vegetarian, what the vegetarians are eating. But you know who's leading the charge? Tyson, Purdue, Smithfield, Hormel, JBS. These are the world's largest meat corporations in the world, right? In China, KFC is selling Cargill's plant-based chicken. I mean, that's just... That's just insane. I mean, that's, I mean, look, Cargill is like the largest private corporation in the country, one of the biggest meat packers in the world. They have these entire lines of plant-based products, right? Chicken nuggets and sausages and meatballs and blah, blah, blah. And so this is, you know, look, people can have all the tastes and textures they grew up with, no deprivation, only be deprived of a little heart disease. And they can really, so there's the best of both worlds. We're not asking anybody to sacrifice. We're asking people not to put humanity at risk. Amen. Amen. So let's close it out on this. Now, there's a lot more to your book that we didn't discuss, obviously. As I mentioned earlier, I listened to it on Audible, and it's a little over 15 hours of thorough information. Obviously, we cannot get to all of that. But I highly recommend that people pick up a hard copy or listen to the audiobook version like I just mentioned that I had done. It's absolutely eye-opening experience. So thank you, Dr. Gregor, for putting this out there for people to read. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that this book and all your book's proceeds go directly to your nonprofit, right? They go to charity. Actually, this one is going to pandemic charities. So okay, instead great. of going directly to Nutrition Facts, like How Not to Die, all the money went to Nutrition Facts. But now this is going to like the Good Food Institute, going to the Plant-Based Products uh, Producers Association, the uh, Center for Infectious Disease Research and Policy, all these pandemic prevention and preparedness resources, you know, just kind of tailor the charity to the book, basically. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, Dr. Gregor. You're an amazing human and your work has positively impacted millions of people around this globe, myself included. I am forever grateful for your evidence-based work as it truly helped me take back my own health. The world needs more Dr. Gregor. Ah, that's so sweet. Well, I'm not going anywhere soon and looking very much forward to my next book, How Not to Age, talking about all the latest in longevity research. Thank you so much for having me on and looking very much forward to coming on back. Thank you, Dr. Gregor. All right, everyone, that was Dr. Michael Gregor. Please be sure to check out my show notes for links to his site, nutritionfacts.org, and his latest book, How to Survive a Pandemic. Trust me, you want to read this book. Until next time, peace, love, and plants. Dr. Gregor delivers once again. I have referenced my lifestyle shift throughout interviews and through these end-of-show takeaways on several occasions. It's one of the core foundations of my mission. And as I touched on during the intro and in my conversation with Dr. Greger, his evidence-based work has profoundly impacted millions around the globe. One of the key sticking points for me when looking to enrich my life or to change my perspective on things is seeking out evidence-based information. Dr. Greger truly embraces this practice in all of his scientific research and his work. It's easy to click headlines and fall into the trap of listening to the passionate person attempting to sway the opinions of people with easy-to-digest theories. But can these theories hold up when put to the test? Do they have references that can be cited? These are the questions that need to be vetted before deciding if the information you seek is in your best interest. I hope that you enjoyed my talk with Dr. Greger. Please be sure to check out my show notes to find links to his work. And if you enjoy the podcast, check out my social sites and throw it a like or even a positive review. I read and engage with everyone and I sincerely appreciate your time. Stay healthy out there, my friends. Peace, love, and plants. Peace.